So as Todd said earlier, we're going to begin our series in the parables of Jesus. And uh, there you see a bunch of little icons. We're going to look at 13 parables, uh, each one represented by one of those. There's a quiz afterwards, and you get extra credit, a free gift at the welcome table, if uh, you can guess what all of those are. But, uh, but we're going to just comb through. It's obviously summer. People are on vacation coming and going. And so rather than building a series uh, at, that, that kind of compounds on itself, uh, we're going to take parables of Jesus. But if you think about it, Uh, we're going to see that uh, most of the parables that Jesus speaks on uh, really have a lot to do with the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom that is breaking into the world. And so the idea of a parable, it really comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside of, and uh, balo, uh, which is to throw. So to throw something alongside, that's what a parable is. And so it's basically something from, uh, from life, uh, and it's kind of thrown alongside, uh, you know, kind of like this story is thrown alongside life and trying to teach a spiritual message. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is oftentimes experiencing opposition to his teaching uh, and his ministry. That's what he's coming out of. We're going to look at Matthew 13 to start us off. We're coming out of Matthew 12, and he says, The kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, And then we enter into Matthew 13, which are known as the kingdom parables. And so he's going to pick something out of life. Uh, We're going to look at the parable of the sower. And so this is a familiar analogy that Jesus is pulling, but he's going to put it alongside uh, what he is teaching on, trying to convey a spiritual point. And so we're going to be in Matthew 13. Uh, the first of the kingdom parables. Would you stand with me as we just long to hear from the Lord? It is his word, and we want to hear from him. So Matthew writes, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other other seeds fell upon good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you... It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from, the, uh, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, Nor do they understand. 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we ask uh, that you would uh, speak by your word. God, I pray that as you say that for some these parables reveal your truth, yet for others it conceals it. God, by the power of the Spirit, would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. God, that we would hear the message of the gospel, that we would understand it, that we would respond to it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So back uh, years ago, there was a show that came on uh, on PBS, and it was Antique Roadshow. Well, there's a lot of uh, knockoffs now, like Storage Wars and others, that basically try to go on these treasure hunts where you're looking for something or trying to see uh, if something has value. Uh, Antique Roadshow is something that's probably sitting in your attic or you know in the spare bedroom or whatever, where experts in the field of art or antiques assess the value of hidden treasures that people find along the way. One uh, author, um, Tim Challies, he, he wrote a book called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, and he writes about one elderly man on this show uh, from uh, Tucson, Arizona, who brought an old blanket, an old blanket that he had and he brought on this show. He inherited it years before, and when he received it, he just kind of threw it on the back of this rocking chair in his bedroom. And well, you know, it looked old, so he brought it to the show, and uh, the expert Fraser, you know, kind of gasps as they see this blanket walk up to them, uh, and it ended up being uh, the uh, the blanket of a Navajo chief, and this blanket was woven in the 1840s and was in perfect condition, uh, and you know, it was one of the oldest, most intact Navajo weaves 
uh, known to date. Uh, and they estimated at that time, which was actually about 10 years ago, between $350,000 and $500,000 uh, was this little blanket. You know, the man walked in with the blanket on his shoulder, you know, just kind of like flopping it around, and he walks out like he has a pristine, you know, treasure, right, with security guards, and, you know, he drove straight to, he said he drove straight to the bank and bought a security, or safe deposit box. That must have been a huge box, but anyway, um, you know, he walked in with junk. He left with treasure, and it was, in a sense, not just hidden from, but from him, it was hidden in plain sight. The value was always there. The blanket was always there. He just didn't know what was in front of him. You know, it wasn't revealed to him. It wasn't known to him yet. And if you think about it, the same is true of the reality of the kingdom of God. It's hidden, but it's hidden in plain sight. It, it's, we know the kingdom of God is there. We see uh, evidence of the kingdom, but the truth and the rule of the reign of Jesus is often not revealed. You know, our world would say, you know, and ask the question, you know, what, what like rules your life? What controls your life? What's the compelling thing that you live for? And our world would say, you know, don't let anyone rule your life. But Jesus comes along and he says, well, you were not designed to rule yourself. That's not how you were made. And he comes along with the word of the kingdom. And then at one time he says it's the secret of the kingdom. Uh, one former professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, Richard Pratt, and, and kind of every time I've talked about the kingdom and set up a series, I, I've, I've kind of used this quote. He said that kings are terribly inconvenient to your personal life, right? You know, it's his way or the highway. That's a king, right? His will be done. That's a king. The king speaks, speaks and you listen. Kingship and his will, uh, those things are closely related. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is not just kind of some nice concept. This is Jesus on the throne, his kingdom coming in, his rule and reign breaking into this world. And quite honestly, most of us, when we hear about a king wanting us to give him our lives, wanting a, or a king that would want to rule our lives, there's something in us that feels like we're going to lose out, Right? Like, no, 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 I don't want a king ruling over me. I want to rule myself. But the kingdom of God, what it is, is it actually returns us to what we were, to exactly what we were created for. The kingdom of God is where we started. We, we began, we were created under the rule and reign of God. Freely. And we enjoyed his presence and enjoyed his rule and his reign. And as Adam and Eve went their own way and we begin to follow suit in our own lives, we say, you know what? I don't live under the kingship of God. Of God. I live over here and I rule and reign my life. So we were created to find life in him. We were created to hinge off of him, to be dependent on him and enjoy him. Yet the human heart rejects that. And so when we start talking about the kingdom of God, it's not this, let's oppress these people. 
God is saying, I'm just restoring you to what you were created for. All the rest that you think is life is you making up something that is ultimately leading to your demise. So when, Je- when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's speaking to these people, and he's also speaking to you and to me, saying you need a king. And so if your heart says, I don't want a king, well, that's where you need to do business with God right now. Because that's the claim of the gospel. It is the king who is coming into this world to establish his kingdom. That's what humanity needs. And so as we're going to look at these parables, we're going to see the reality of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God is here. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. Is it fully here? No. But it has definitely begun. And that's what we're going to look at. And so as we look at the reality of the kingdom, we're going to see the idea of this mystery of the kingdom. Now, don't, don't mistake in that word. Jesus used the word secret. Uh, other translations use, use the word mystery. Um, that is not like here's a treasure map and go like discover something kind of mysterious. This is not, you know, like national treasure. This is not, you know, the Da Vinci Code that we need to break some. The idea of mystery is something that was hidden yet now revealed. So in verse 11 of chapter 13, Jesus answered them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. And so what is he talking about with that idea of secrets? Jump a little bit past our passage in verse 35. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, that I will open my mouth in parables... I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So the idea of mystery is that it's been hidden until Jesus is making it known. A lot like that blanket that the guy lugs into Antique Roadshow. It's there. It's just yet not yet been revealed. And so the idea is, is again, not that decoder ring kind of stuff. It is Jesus making this Known that the kingdom is breaking into the world. Not fully, but it's begun. The kingdom is described here in our parable, the parable of a sower, as a seed. Uh, In a sense, again, a seed has this hidden power to it. Uh, You know, like how can huge trees or huge plants come out of this? A, A seed sometimes feels dry and dead, lifeless, but it is not a dead thing, it is a living seed of the kingdom. And so the, the mystery of the kingdom is that it has been hidden, now known, but then there's the word of the kingdom. And uh, so it, it, we saw that in verse 19 where Jesus talks about the word of the kingdom that came. In other places in Matthew, uh, it, it's described as the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, And the word for gospel Uh, It is also the understanding of good news. So the gospel of the kingdom truly is the good news of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. So it's not, it's interesting, the way Matthew most often talks about the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the secret of the kingdom, not merely 
the good news of salvation, that's obviously included in the kingdom, but he broadens his understanding of what we often typically think of is what the good news of the gospel is. We tend to think it's just you and I coming to know Jesus, that there's forgiveness for our sins and life in him. But the good news of the kingdom is that he's ruling over everything. Our hearts, yes, and everything else. The good news is that Jesus has come as a king to rule and to reign and be Lord over all things. So here it is in Matthew 4, 23, that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's Matthew 4. Here's Matthew 9. Sounds pretty similar. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Isn't it interesting? Did, did you hear both of those times? What followed after the declaration of the proclaiming of the kingdom was a healing of disease and affliction. Why? Because the good news of the kingdom is most definitely something of word and of the gospel and the good news that is to be received. But it also shows up in tangible physical evidence of God's rule and reign in this world. Get that? It's good news that we hear and receive, but it's also good news that shows up. So what is wrong? Jesus begins to set right. What's, what is sick in dying, Jesus begins to heal. What is broken, Jesus begins to rebuild. The evidence of the kingdom is seen in healing every disease and every affliction. And so as, as we're going to look at this passage, uh, is we have to know that these things were given. That uh, this understanding of the kingdom was given to them. To you, Jesus says, to his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Verse 11. And what's been given to those that were, this has been given, you'll be given more, and then you'll be given to abundance. Uh, That this word is spread all over. People hear the parable of the sower, uh, and when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... Uh, It is broadly spread on good soil and not good soil. The word is the seed that is spread. It goes out to all uh, kinds of soil. So we saw the mystery in the word, but then we see Jesus revealing the kingdom. Okay, Why parables? Jesus, or his disciples asked Jesus. So um, we think parables are here to basically illustrate a point and make something clear. Based on their question, were they, were they, was this helping them be, be understand, or was it kind of confusing in some sense for them? It was actually more confusing. They even come later and say, hey, could you tell us what that meant? Right? So we're sitting here 2,000 years downstream of Jesus' teaching, when he was teaching, they're like, why do you speak to them in parables? Basically, nobody gets it, Jesus. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. 
Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. That sounds a lot like he spoke in parables so that people wouldn't get it. And that does not match how we think about parables. What Jesus does is he quotes Isaiah 6, uh, verse 9 and 10. So this is almost a straight quote out of Isaiah 6. That indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... Now, what's going on in Isaiah is the people are hearing, yet not trusting in the Lord. Here, they're hearing the word, yet not receiving him. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Verse 15, For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they've closed lest or else they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The purpose of parables, this is going to drive you nuts, depends on the listener. If you are a hard-hearted listener, parables are actually designed to conceal Jesus' message. If you are a follower of Christ and a soft-hearted listener, parables are meant to reveal Jesus' message. Now that'll drive you nuts, won't it? Because you're like, well, which soil am I? Ding, ding, ding! That is a great question. Are you... So it's this interesting thing that God's word takes root in us as the soil is ready to receive it. And God brings his word and it becomes fruitful. So is it the soil or is it the sower? Well, the power of God is, is, is the one in his word. But yet there is somehow a receptiveness to the things of God. So God is the one that enlightens our eyes. But think for a second. What does he say in Isaiah? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So is it God or is it us? Yep. So if you're sitting here and you've, you've done no work on your heart, if you've not readied yourself, you've not said, God, I actually want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want to be convinced of your word. But yet I, I, if you, there, there's a sense where we can actually prepare our hearts and soften and, and kind of... Uh, you know, kind of um, till, that's the word, not toil. Uh, we can till the, the ground of our hearts, but yet seed doesn't become effective on our power. It's only the power of God. And that's why he says in verse 16 and 17, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. Interesting. And they longed to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. So the prophets in the Old Testament longed to see what the people of God saw then, and what you and I understand now. That the prophets would be jealous of what we have come to see by the power of the Holy Spirit. What God has made to grow in 
our hearts. And so the revealing of the kingdom. So here's a couple of do's and don'ts with parables. Okay? So first one is the, what the trap that the early church fell into. First kind of four or five centuries of the early church, they did the allegorical message or method. Basically that every part of a parable had a hidden meaning. Okay? There must be some kind of like special meaning in all of these words. And so, and, and we're not talking about guys that were off the rails. This is St. Augustine, you know, a solid biblical thinker. Uh, and, you know, kind of late 300s, early 400s. It, it, when he was thinking of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, a very familiar one where the guy's like kind of hurt on the side of the road and, and three people walk by, the only one that shows him attention is the hated Samaritan. You know, the priest and the Levite walk by. Well, he says, you know, the wounded man, that stood for Adam. The Jer- Jerusalem, the city, uh, well, that's the heavenly city that he was fallen, that, um, from which he has fallen. The thieves, well, that's the devil who deprives Adam of his immorality. The priest and the Levite that walk by, well, that's the Old Testament law that could save no one. The Samaritan, well, that's Jesus who binds up the man's wounds and forgives sin. The inn, well, that's the church where people go to to get cared for. And the innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. Didn't know how he got that last one. Let me tap the brakes on the allegorical method because it misses something, which is context. A guy comes to Jesus and says, who's my neighbor? And he answers him with the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan parable. Jesus is not talking about all of this theology that Augustine was kind of pointing to. The danger of uh, allegorizing is you can make a parable say anything you want it to say. That's the scary thing about God's word is you can make it what you want it to say if you take it into your own hands. Rather, typically a parable has a main point, some kind of smaller subpoints, but don't force it to say too much. Jesus is making a point with something from common day, kind of throwing a common day example alongside of life. You know, so the parable of the sower and the wheat and the weeds, these two Jesus actually interprets for us. What's odd is that these, in some facet, uh, you know, Jesus is pointing to different things that mean things, but not everything means something. Jesus doesn't talk about the bag of seed. He doesn't talk about the field itself in this parable. And the other one is don't mix parables. Because this one and the next parable right after it are both about sowers. But the seed does not mean the same thing. Okay? So, so in this one, the seed is the word of the kingdom. In the next one, which is the wheat and the weeds, the seed or the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, meaning the people. Those are two very different things. One is talking about the word. One is talking about the people of the kingdom. They're not the same thing. So real quickly, how do we respond to the kingdom? So the kingdom is real. The reality of the kingdom is there. And we're going to kind of, for the next 12 weeks or so, we're going to look at what it is to, uh, for the kingdom to be there. What are the responses to the kingdom? Verse 18, Jesus talks then, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. Is he talking about just hearing, like hearing vibrations, you know, detecting vibrations of sound waves? 
No, he's way beyond that. It's, it, it's, it's to hear the sound, to understand what they're talking about, to receive it, and to actually put it into practice. That's why in verse 13, 14, 15, 19, and 23, he talks about understanding. That it's not just detecting sound waves, hearing. It is hearing to the, to the place of or to the, under, to the, to the uh, extent of understanding. So it's hearing, listening, obeying, experiencing, seeking to understand the things of God. And that the effectiveness of the seed, get this, if this is the word of the kingdom, so we would say the word of God is powerful and effective. The effectiveness of the seed, which is the word, is based on the receptiveness of the soil. That's interesting. Right? Because there's, there's kind of three inadequate responses and then one good one. The, the first one is, the, is the, the, the people that are closed off to Jesus. Uh, where the seed falls on the path. Now, it's not that this, the sower has bad aim. Okay? Because they're walking through a field and there's paths in between uh, these rows of crops and the, and the sower is throwing seed. Some is going to land where it's intended. Some's going to cheat off into some rocky ground. Some's going to end up on the path. And the, the, the seed that ends up on the path, the word that ends up on the path, is, comes, comes and, and the birds eat it and devour it. When Jesus explains this parable in verse 19, he says that the birds are like whom? The birds are like the evil one, Satan. He comes and he snatches away what has been sown, what has been thrown out. And it's basically the person that hears audibly, but does not understand or has no desire to even understand. From Isaiah uh, chapter 6, you see that they have dull hearts closed ears and shut eyes it's kind of a i don't want to hear it i might hear it audibly but i don't want to hear it in my heart and what's really sobering about that is as anyone that teaches anybody the word either reads it for yourself hears it as a uh, speaks it as a preacher teaches it to your kids teaches sunday school who is not far away every time the word goes out The evil one loves to steal what is conveyed to people. It's really interesting how it lands. Then then the evil one comes and snatches those things away. One commentator said that that Satan is the great thief of sermons. Because see, the word of God goes out and oftentimes it it is eaten and devoured by the evil one. So if you're one that's sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of things my parents have said. I've heard a lot of these things, yet they have never penetrated. I have not cared. One iota, you know what? I don't really care now. This is who Je- you're, you're the one Jesus is speaking to about the one that is closed off. Could God be right now calling you to himself? Then there's another person that's intrigued with Jesus. 
This is the rocky soil. The, the, the soil has no depth. It starts to take root, but because there's no depth to the roots, it gets sun-scorched, right? We're entering July in Columbia, so we're going to know all about this type of uh, reality. You know, it's the person that hears, and what's interesting is this one and the next one actually respond to the gospel. It, it, not, not like in a faith way, but they respond and hear the word. This person uh, hears it with joy, right? They respond lightly, but then they fall away with hardship. So who, who, who kind of is the person that is intrigued with Jesus? Is the one that might be raised in a Christian home? Might have been around the things of God? but no real hearing or understanding, or the person that maybe hears the truth of the gospel uh, at a Billy Graham crusade, or uh, on, in some way you hear the truth of the gospel, there's an excitement there, and then it just dies quickly. Is that where you are sitting today? Maybe you've gone through that type of experience. You've been intrigued with Jesus, yet you've not fully received him. Probably the more likely of people that are sitting in this room uh, are the ones that have a love for things other than Jesus. Because the thorns came up and they choked out the word. So the person that hears receives the word. That is an interesting thing, that it, it begins to grow. I wouldn't say in a faith sense or a salvation sense, but there is some aspect of, of the things of the word actually beginning to affect this person. But then ultimately they get pushed out. But what are they pushed out by? Jesus says they get pushed out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The anxieties and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And so we live in the South, right? And we all know what it is about having something choke out something else because we have kudzu all over the southeast, right? Kudzu, a vine introduced from Japan in 1876. Uh, it was supposed to be kind of a, a, at a plant exhibition in Philadelphia. The government said, hey, it's going to help with erosion, so everybody started planting it during the Great Depression. Oops. Uh, because those roots grow up to 20 feet long and up to 5 inches in diameter. And unless you kill the root, you'll never kill the plant. You talk about things that grow and choke out other things. It's been said anywhere between two, where is it, two and seven million acres in the southeast are covered by kudzu. Just devastated by that. And so what, what is it to actually hear the word, begin to interact with the word of God, but the worries of this world have just pushed it away anxiety of life has gotten too hard for you, or the deceitfulness of riches has choked it out. Where you have kind of chased after the things of this world and your love for money, your love for things, your love for pleasure, your love for stuff has pushed the word of God away. One research study said, uh, just it, it was fascinating, they asked every, you know, all sorts of income ranges, how much more money do you think you need to be comfortable? And the answer was 10% more. 
Like across the board, if you made $30,000, you needed 10% more. If you made a million, 10% more. What would make your life comfortable? And then once you got to that level that you said you always wanted 10% more. It's the deceitfulness of riches is that you will never have enough. And that's if that is what you're defining, that will go by the wayside. And then there's the one that receives the word by faith. Here's the miraculous part of this parable is that seed produces 160 or 30 fold. Because typical return from seed to harvest, kind of cost-wise, was about 15 to 20. So when they start talking about 100 fold, we're talking about like jackpot kind of harvest. It's mentioned once in Deuteronomy, like this immense, crazy harvest. The one that understands or receives or keeps the word of God Not simply about a profession of faith, like I walked the aisle when I was eight and I'm good. But the idea of perseverance in the faith with patience, the fruit of the diligent. uh, God gives this understanding of the word. If you receive it by faith, you submit yourselves to the word of God. God promises to bring a harvest that multiplies way beyond what we could even fathom. And if you think about your life, if you know the Lord, you've probably seen the evidence already of that. If you know somebody who's come to Christ late in life, you've obviously seen the evidence of that. If you see the the, the marriages that God has saved and restored, you've seen the evidence of that. That God's word has this multiplying effect of uh, of, its, uh, of what it can achieve. It, because it's not about our effort, it is about the power of God at work. Just like a tiny seed can grow into a magnificent oak or a plant, God's word received by faith, received by good soil, soil surrendered to the living God. That kind of person God promises to bring a multiplying effect of his word in the effectiveness of it, not only for salvation, but for the kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. God, I ask that, uh, that as we look at these parables, as we've kind of set the stage with some background of parables, God, I pray that as we look at these things, that, that you would just convey your truth to us, the truth of the kingdom, the kingdom that we need a king that we need to submit to a king, that our best is found in your rule and reign in our lives and in this world. God, I pray that we would hear the word of the kingdom, that we would surrender to you, King Jesus. God, would you bring that reality to bear today in people that may have been that soil that was not receptive to the things of God. God, by the power of the Spirit, would you plant good seed uh, in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.